Uh, you know, we live in an interesting society today, and I know we all know that. And I think that what has happened in the last few years, maybe the last 30 years, but for some of us, maybe it's taken a while to kind of sink into our hearts and minds. But I think as Christians, we become kind of gun shy about telling the truth. And I think what happens is our world has told us that we cannot tell the truth. We can't say what we think about certain things. And the irony of that and the paradox is they can tell us a lot of things. But as Christians, it's almost as if we're not allowed to do that. And we get shouted down and we're told we're bigots and we're told a lot of things about ourselves and what we believe. And I have to be honest with you that um, that's always bothered me a little bit. And here's what bothers me. I really believe that Christianity is the truth. And if the building was burning down and I knew where the exit was, why would it be so wrong for me to say, there's the exit. Let's run that way. Or think of it like this. What if, what if today you found the cure for cancer? Let's, or, or, oh, let's get really spicy. What if you found the cure to AIDS? What, wouldn't you tell somebody? Wouldn't you want to tell somebody? Do you think they would shout you down for that? And yet we have the cure for sin. We have the thing that will literally change people's lives. As pastor said earlier, the very thing that will revolutionize and change your life from within to without, that will make you a new person. I can't make people new people. And, and, you know, obviously people try all the time. And pastor mentioned some of the motivational speakers we got to hear yesterday. And they were amazing. And um, I had to leave early, but I heard that there was even some spiritual content in there that I missed. And uh, altar call? My goodness. Which is amazing. But typically when you get a motivational speaker, they're just telling you how to work on yourself and make yourself better. And, and that's good, but it only goes so far. Because ultimately, mankind, we can only do so much with ourselves and we have our own limitations and we don't see things as clearly as human beings. And so ultimately, without God, I don't see a lot of hope for change that's positive. On the other hand, with the creator of the universe, if he can make those changes, if we really, really believe that, I think it's something that we shouldn't be keeping to ourselves. And yet, like I mentioned, we live in a society which says, don't judge me. You can put that first picture up. And they look at us as if we're this guy or this. Don't, let's not go too fast, but this is an actual T-shirt. Unless you can walk on water, you can't judge me. And go ahead and look at the next one there. This is a, it's, it's an actual tattoo. Uh, only God can judge me. Anybody know what that is? Anybody know who's, your, who's our cultural tuned in? You know who that is? You know who I'm talking about? That's not that person, but nobody knows who Tupac was? That was his last album. Serious? Okay. All right, well, anyway, that's obviously a white guy that's trying to be down. All right, let's go to the next one here. But This is an actual bumper sticker. I am what I am, and your opinion isn't needed. So let's pause at that one right for a minute, because typically what happens in our world today is people are trying to put themselves out there, and they want to be able to do whatever they want without any criticism, without any critique. And, and I understand that to a large degree. And what they feel like is, is the perception is that Christianity is all about critiquing and judging other people. And it's as if we're on our high horse all the time and we're telling people how to live all the time. Now, I believe that there's a balance there because I think that Christians can be perceived that way. And you, just like me, probably know some Christians like that. I, some actually good friends, people I'm very close to who, when I'm around them and I hear them talk, my, my inner ear cringes. Because I think, oh, that sounds so judgmental. I wish you wouldn't say it that way. Because I know how the world perceives that. 
Because maybe you didn't know this, but I mentioned homosexuality before with AIDS, kind of a reference there. Most homosexuals think that Christianity hates them and that Christians hate them. It's really sad that they do not see the, the love of Jesus in the church toward them. Now, I can argue all day long about how that's not fair and that's not me and, and we love people and we love, what's, what's our saying we say? We hate the sin and not the sinner, right? We say all that. But in the end, it gets interpreted and they feel as if we're attacking them and hate them. So when you see a bumper sticker like this, it shouldn't be too surprising. Let's go to the next one. This is what I was getting at. As Jesus said about gay people, and one of the, one of the things that the homosexual community pushes is that Jesus himself never referenced homosexuality directly. So this is, a, this is basically what they're trying to say is there's no critique in, scripture, in the New Testament. Well, not the New Testament, but Jesus himself didn't critique it. Now, Paul may have critiqued homosexuality, but you know, he was celibate and single and obviously had issues. So, um, but Jesus didn't say anything about it. So anyway, you can go to the next picture there. So this is an actual bumper sticker. I don't know. Has anybody seen this one? I've seen some pretty vicious Christian, anti-Christian bumper stickers. Um, but this one hurts because it hits home, doesn't it, with us? Because nobody likes hypocrites. And um, especially Christians, I hope, would hate them. But let's look at this next, next one here. I, cried, I tried Christianity, but I was tired of being a judgmental. That word is actually King James, but I didn't know if I could say that. Pastor says a lot of King James words in here, but I didn't know if I could. But. And you'll notice that's a t-shirt that's from a company called Obscenities. That's what they do is market offensive t-shirts for people who are virulently anti-Christian to wear. But remember, remember when, when Saul was knocked off the horse? Do you remember that? And he saw Jesus and Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then he said, who are you? And he says, why do you kick against the pricks? Remember that? That's the King James word there. Okay, what's the next one say? Hypocrite. A person who puts on a false appearance of virtue or religion. A person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. I have to be honest, when a when a high-profile Christian, especially one that's been perceived as judgmental, falls, has a moral failure. Again, I just hold my breath because I know it's coming. I know the criticisms from the world is coming, and they deserve it because they've shown themselves in public to be a hypocrite. The sad part about that is then the world is able to, to deny everything they said and all the truths that they preached because of the moral failure, because of the hypocrisy. Having worked with young people for so long, can I tell you that one of the biggest reasons I've seen young people walk away from Christ is when they perceive their parents as hypocrites. And it can be something as simple as this. You guys remember how it was when you're getting yelled at as a kid? Anybody remember that? Does that bring you back a picture? And then your mom answered the phone. So she's yelling and she's, hello. Anybody ever have that happen? Anybody ever done that? <laughs> Where you gotta, gotta dial it back real quick and answer the phone? which that's a very mild version, but we all know that the truth is when you live with somebody, you see inside and out and you see how they really live. And you see if that talk matches up to the walk. Go ahead and go to the next picture there. The question we're going to ask today is, well, actually this is, this comes from a, this, this came from a, um, uh, psychologist seminar, how to talk about 
judgment without being judgmental. So this was specifically for someone who does mediation. And I love how they parse the words. Look at these two definitions. So judgmental would be, go to the next slide. Judgmental would be, uh, no, no, go back a couple there. Judgmental would be when uh, somebody has quick, uninformed decisions about right and wrong, about responsibility and morality or motives. I want to I look at this definition really closely for a minute because this is how the world defines us. And when you see this definition, I want you, you, what you almost could put in place there is Christian instead of judgmental. Because how they see us is uninformed, making uninformed decisions about right and wrong, about people's personal responsibility, about people's morality, and then especially about their motives. Pastor mentioned this recently. He said, you know, we like to judge other people by their actions and then ourselves by our motives. Maybe you've heard a, a kid or somebody, maybe you've said it yourself, but I didn't mean to do it. You know, like you have a car accident. Well, you didn't mean to do it. Well, duh, you didn't mean to do it, but the car still wrecked. So I'm, I'm glad you didn't mean to, but then something still happened. But that's how we act, isn't it? We judge other people harsher than our, we judge ourselves. But as we're looking at this definition, understand that this is how the world sees us. Now look at, look at how similar the definition is, but a little different for um, being uh, judicious. Judicious requires patience, listening, understanding without aversion, fear, ignorance, or delusion. Do you feel like you could do that? Do some of you feel like you do do that? But you don't, once, <laughs> I did that once. But you don't get credit for that, do you? Not in the world we live in today, because the world we live in today is not like that. But let me ask you this question. Really, who's judging who? Because part of, a, part of it seems, and in the world would say that we're judging them, but if somehow we could remove ourselves from the situation, and if all we were really doing is pointing out the exit door and the fire, would it really be us judging them? Or would it be Scripture itself, or Jesus himself, or God himself? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be if we could remove ourselves from the situation, we would just be showing them the way, and then they would, they would see the truth of that and almost embrace it? But the problem is it doesn't work out that way, does it? Because we're people, and we're humans, and we've got to represent this truth to people that in many cases can be a very uncomfortable thing, and it's definitely something that they don't want to hear. I do think it's interesting, though, because um, a lot of times we're being judged. Who's judging who? We're being judged by the world. And it's funny to me. I don't know if you've ever done this in a conversation with somebody where they're accusing you of something, but in their very accusation, they're doing the thing they're accusing you of. Have you ever noticed that? You know, it doesn't often work out to say, but you're doing it too. I mean, that sounds kindergarten, but, but think about it for a minute. Isn't the world, in a sense, judging us and being judgmental toward Christians? Because they don't really know what we're talking about, and they haven't really listened, and they're not really patient with us. They just make a snap judgment about all of us. And I have to be honest, it plays into my mind and my thinking a lot. And it's not that I don't say things, but I'll be honest with you. When I meet someone who I think might be homosexual, do you know what I do? I'm extra nice. Guy or girl, it doesn't matter. I just want them to know, and then I want to make sure that at some point in there, they find out I'm a Christian, and that they know that I care about them. And I know that my one little inter- interaction with them is not going to change, you know, probably their whole perception, but I want to somehow try to break down those stereotypes that have been reinforced over and over by things they've seen on TV, or people they've heard, or perhaps even Christians that they've talked to. But it is interesting, isn't it, that the, that the world uses the Bible that they don't believe in to then throw in the face of and judge Christians? It's a funny little twist. I mean, it's not totally unfair because it's the fact that we say we believe it and don't live it. 
But it is comical to me that they don't believe it and they still use it. But let me ask you, let's get, let's get to the heart of the matter. Most of the world would say that there's no universal moral structure or standard for anything. And they would use that statement right there as a basis for why you have no right to judge them. Because basically what the world is saying today is I can make my own rules. I can choose what's right and wrong for myself and you have nothing to say about it. And, and for sure, your religion shouldn't try to tell me how to live. I can choose my own religion. I can choose my own way to live. Or they might say, look around. Everybody else is doing it. They might use that, that argument that the majority is doing it. So let's go ahead. How would you answer that? I'm just curious. A lot of times it doesn't come to you as straightforward as this question, but it may just come in the sense that somebody says, you don't have any right to judge. And the implied idea there is, I can do what I want. There's no moral standard that's universal for everybody for all time. There's no way you could contradict that. So what do you say? Or what do you do? What goes on in your mind? I just wonder what, what works in your mind. And, and maybe you wouldn't say it. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you where you've been in the heat of an argument or maybe somebody said something and you didn't have a quick comeback. And then as you walk away, you think, oh, man, I should have said that. I mean, I do that all the time. And then I walk away thinking, man, I would, if I'd have said that, I'd have been so smart. <laughs> or, but it didn't come to me then, you know, or, or whatever. But what would you say? How do you argue against that? I mean, it's a difficult thing because the whole world seems to believe that today, that everything is up for grabs, that you can interpret anything any way you want. I heard a guy uh, saying some things about that, and, and he, was, he was basically saying, well, if that's true and we can make up all our own rules, why do we even bother having a court system? Because we all agree those are rules, right? I mean, what's the point of having a lawyer and they're arguing? What are they arguing about if you can make up your own rules? And why should it matter if, if uh, you know, why should you even go to your boss and ask for a better salary? Because if they make up their own rules, they don't have to pay you anything based on anything you want. Or, I, I mean, how would you judge whether or not you're worthy of anything if you can't judge? I mean, what standard do you judge all those things on? Or how about this? Let's, let's, let's be honest. What about, what about infanticide? I mean, we all hear about child's, or, uh, China's one-child policy, and people seem to think that's horrendous. But if they can make the rules over there, why, who are we to judge? I mean, we can't really judge them for doing that, right? What about abortion? I mean, why is it wrong? What about slavery? What about subjugation of women? We've heard a lot about that in the last few years with what's been going on in the Middle East. And, you know, I don't know if you heard about that woman who was executed for driving in Saudi Arabia last week. You know, there was another girl in Iraq who was killed for being a beauty pageant. But who are you to judge? You know, you have these loose American values and that's their values and that's their country and the way they were raised. I mean, how could you judge that? Are those universal laws? Is that true for everybody? How about this? Should anybody choose or get to say, have any, any say in who, who marries who or what you eat or where you go or what you do for a living? Hmm. I really think what it comes down to is people don't want to be held accountable for anything. People want to be a law unto themselves. They want to choose right and wrong for themselves. Nobody should get to say who gets to do what and who's right and who's wrong. Now, with that, that thought in mind, I'd like to challenge that for just a little bit with you. What I would like to do is I would like to go to Scripture. And, and first thing I'd like to establish is the fact this. You know, we talk a lot about context, especially in church. 
And when we talk about context, I know we, we brushed on it last week just a little bit, talking about the fact that you need to look at a verse and then look at the paragraph, look at the section of Scripture it's in. You need to find out what that Scripture is really talking about. But usually when you, you hear this phrase about judging and who should judge or who could judge, what, what Scripture do you usually hear related to that? Judge not lest you be judged. Okay. Any others? can't hear. I heard mumbling. I don't have the gift of interpretation there. Josh, did you hear that? Oh, that's impressive. She's quoting the whole verse there. That's good. How about the whole, uh, well, let's get to that. Let's, let's start, if we would, just turn to Matthew chapter 7. Bef- and as you do that, I'm just curious, does anybody know where this scripture comes from? What section of scripture it is? I mean, obviously it's Matthew, but I know you know. Does anybody else know? This is in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount encompasses quite a few chapters in the book of Matthew. And this is in the middle of that sermon. And it starts off here in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse number 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, most people say that, and they, they look at that, and they just stop with that first phrase, do not judge. Now, if that was true, if that's what Scripture really meant, do not judge, I have to be honest, life would be chaotic, right? I mean, it doesn't really mean that, does it? Because if it meant that, then most of Scripture would be irrelevant, because a lot of what's in Scripture is telling us to judge things, whether they're good or bad or wrong or right. I mean, you wouldn't be able to judge anything, beauty, success. I mean, think about it. Is he really saying not to judge? That's just part of what he's saying. Is it bad to be judged? How many of you have ever uh, been speeding? Anybody? Okay, four or five of us. Thank you. Wow. Okay. How many of you ever lied? Okay. Okay. How many of you have ever been speeding? Or maybe you weren't even speeding. Maybe you were just driving and you saw the policeman in the rearview mirror. And what did you feel? Okay, now, thank Jeff is good as Jeff Nordine right in the back there. Okay, he's, that's happened to Jeff. Okay, what goes through your heart and mind? And you look right down at your speedometer, right? And you think, what is the speed limit where I'm at? Right, because you want to know. And what, is your, what are you fearful of? Being judged? Because there's a standard, and the standard's pretty absolute, Obviously, I've heard pretty girls get off, you know, out of tickets. That's never happened to me. But, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> Pastor said, for sure not now with that thing going on. So, all right, so we all wonder, how fast are we going? What was the speed limit? And then has this ever happened? Because this happened to me before where the lights go on and it's not you. Has that ever happened? And that thrill you feel, and you're thinking, oh, man, what, you know, and oh, no. And, and then all of a sudden they zip around or they pull somebody else over, and you're like, oh, yes. And you know that exhilaration, that feeling, you just miss some judgment. But, but why? I think all of us intrinsically don't want to be judged. But on the other hand, there's times where, you know, I, I know this has happened probably like someone in the car with you or Nicole would say, oh, there's a cop right there. And right away I look, and what do I say? I'm not speeding. I'm good. I, I don't mind being judged in this case because I'm not in violation of the law. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference? 
Because there's times where you're, you're feeling that pressure, and then there's other times where you know I'm good. And I've had it happen to me, I, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it is the way I look, Pastor, thank you. But I, I, it could be, because I've been, I've been followed through a lot of towns over the years. I've been pulled over because I've, I've, somebody said, I know you're not from around here. You know, what are you doing? And, and I, know, you know, I know that happens to people of color in our society. And it's, it's happened to me a few times where I've had cops follow me for a long way. And I keep thinking, I'm not doing anything. I should be good, but I'm still feeling it. And I'm thinking, I'm not doing anything wrong. You know, I'm watching the speed limit. And then if you knew me, you know, I'd start to go just a little over just to see what they'll do. Because I know, I know there's a limit, but, you know, but still. My point is this. If you're not doing anything wrong, then the judgment's not that big a deal, right? So as we look at the scripture for a second, it doesn't, it does say do not judge. But it's tied right there to the or you too will be judged. But it's not such a bad thing to be, to be judged unless you're doing something wrong. And in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's not so much talking about not being judgmental as it's saying, just be fair in how you judge because you're going to be judged the same way. Can I be honest with you? And I wish people would judge more like I do. I, you know, I think a lot of times I'm, I, I give grace and, and I want to hear people. And I wish sometimes they would be judged that way. And I know when I walk up to people and there's times where, you know, they, they're not as friendly as I, I wish they would be like that sometimes, you know, be more friendly or be more open or whatever. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that scripture at all is saying what people have thought it said. But it gets even better. And I know this is probably familiar to you. Uh, Matthew 7, uh, 3 and 4. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? <laughs> what I love about that is, is these verses are probably some of the most commonly quoted or thrown at Christians. And I wonder, what, do they really think that these scriptures are talking about tolerance? Are they actually... Do, do you think they really mean that we should be, we should unex, unquestionably accept everything people do? Because that's not really what the scripture's talking about. I, I do believe that Christians, we should be about unconditional love, but not about unconditional acceptance. I do believe that we should unconditionally love people, even if they are in sin or whatever. That's not the, that's not the issue. But it doesn't mean that we unconditionally accept what they're doing or act as if what they're doing is not wrong just because... Uh, these verses say those things. And besides that, as we look at that verse, that uh, why did you look at the speck? Did you catch that part? It said, first take the plank out, then go after the speck. Anybody ever had something stuck in your eye? I mean, we all have had that, right? Did your mom go digging after it like mine did? She would do that. I'd be like, come on, mom, I'll get it myself. you know. And she's like, no, I got it right. I can see it. <sighs> Think about it for a minute. Jesus didn't say not to dig it out. He said, just make sure you don't have that plank in your eye. So what's he really talking about? He's talking about hypocrisy. He's talking about people who judge and, and, and people, you know, it said, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That's Matthew 7, 5. What he requires is that our judgment be fair. Now, granted, let's be honest. Most of us struggle with having fair judgment because we're humans. And our judgment's going to be colored by our experiences, by our prejudices, by our assumptions, 
all those things. In fact, all those things in that definition of judgmental. We have to really, really, really watch that. But the truth is, I believe that we as Christians can live a life where we do not have that log in our eye. I really believe you can be like that. And I believe that for the world, you could be somebody that helps show them the way. Now, obviously, you have to do it in the right heart, in the right spirit. You have to have a relationship with people so they don't sense that you're poking and prodding at them you know, unfairly. But at the same time, if you do not have that huge log in your eye, then you should be able to say something to them. And again, often we judge people by a different standard than we judge ourselves. We could be honest, right? That's what happens. And people know. I think it's interesting that sometimes it seems like non-Christians understand what Christians are supposed to be like almost better than Christians. Do you ever see that? They really know. They know what we're supposed to do and not do. So we just have to watch ourselves and live, live as, as pure before them as possible. Hypocrisy. It comes down to hypocrisy. We make justification for our sin sometimes. And sometimes we're blind to our sin, our own sin, our own failings. It could be very obvious to other people, but we're blind to it. There's, there's a great story in uh, 2 Samuel 12 about David and Bathsheba. It illustrates this just incredibly. And you probably know this story, but real quickly, I'm going to tell you the story. David was, should have been at war. His, men, his army was at war. He wasn't. He's home. Off his rooftop, he sees a woman bathing. And, and you know, I read that story and I think, dang, he, he had it all. And he calls for her, sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. And the story is horrible because her husband was Uriah the Hittite. He, and if you, look at the, if you look at all of the Old Testament there, he was actually one of David's mighty men. He was one of David's guys who, who protected him all those times when he was running from Saul. It's not like some stranger, not like that would justify it. I'm just saying, someone he knew. He knew well. So when he saw her off the roof, he probably even knew her. It's just, it's just a sad story. So finds out he's pregnant. So he calls his commander back from the battlefield. I'm sure the commander's thinking, what could be so important? I'm fighting here. Comes back. David says, bring me Uriah. So then what he tries to do is get Uriah to sleep with his own wife so that he'll think it's his baby. Uriah's too loyal. Won't do it. So then he tries to get him drunk so he'll sleep with his own wife, his own wife and get her pregnant. Won't do it. So he sends him back to battle with a note to give to his commander and the note says, put him at the front lines and then back away from him. Has him killed. Horrendous story. Horrendous. So he thinks he's gotten away with it. The baby's born. And then Nathan the prophet comes. And he comes before David and he tells David a story. And I, you know, I, sometimes I look back and I think about what, 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 would, what would that scene look like? You know, you, he must have had a tremendous looking palace, his royal robes, and he's sitting there in judgment. And the prophet comes before him and he tells him this story. He tells him about a rich man who had tons of lambs and someone came for a feast. And instead of taking one of his lambs, he took a lamb from a man who had only one lamb and that only one lamb. He'd raised it as a pet. It ate off of his table, slept in his bed, a pet. And he took that lamb and slaughtered it. And if you remember the story, David got all upset and angry. That man must die. Remember what Nathan said? You are that man. He didn't even see his own hypocrisy. I tell you that story tonight because 
As much as I believe that we as Christians have a right and even a duty to tell the truth, none of that matters if you're a hypocrite. None of that matters if, if inside your life that people see things that would dilute or water down or ruin the message. None of it matters. You have every right to do it and you should do it. But unfortunately, we as Christians haven't done a really good job, and I'm talking about Christians as a whole, of representing Christ. Instead, they see us as judgmental in all those things that we looked at earlier. Very few times do they look at us as the ones that have the answer to life. So getting back to this, Matthew, let's look at another part of the sermon, just a little bit further down from the part we just read. It says right here in Matthew uh, chapter 7, Watch out for these false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Jesus tells us to judge. There's no way you could fulfill these scriptures without judging. You... You couldn't determine what was the wide and narrow gate if you didn't make a judgment. There's no way. But look what he says to do first. Watch out for false prophets. Who are these false prophets? Are these people within the church? You know what he does? He tells us to clean our own house first. And he tells us to make sure that there's no sin here because he's not only talking about sin personally, but sin in the body of Christ. So when someone says not to judge, and you may have heard this for a brother or sister in Christ, we're actually supposed to judge each other. Did you know that? It does say, and we'll, we'll look at these, some of these scriptures, but previously in the same sermon in, in chapter 6, verse 2, he, he talks about don't do as the hypocrites do, talking about in the area of giving. You couldn't, you couldn't make that choice if you weren't judging what the hypocrites were doing. In Matthew 6, 5, do, do not be like the hypocrites, talking about prayer, the way they prayed. In Matthew 6, 7, do not keep babbling like pagans, talking about prayer again. No way you can make those things without making judgments. Here's the problem. A lot of times I think we make up rules so we don't have to think. I read this quote recently and it just, it just killed me because I thought about all the years that the church was, was burdened down with, with legalism and rules that kind of one size fits all. And when we do that with those rules, we don't even have to think for a minute and stop and think, well, how does this really work and how is this affecting this person? And Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes there's discernment involved that takes a little mind power and a little work. I, I think it's sad when Christians, we give, give the, the world ammunition to use against us. So let me ask you that question a little differently. Who can judge who? Because we know we judge each other, but who can judge who? Is it just Christian we should judge? People claim to be Christians? The truth is we all judge, but the judgment should start at home and in the church. Galatians 6, 1 says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. In 1 Corinthians five twelve, it says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. You expel the wicked person from among you. Now that verse, giving you the context, comes on the end of a segment. Paul, this is a church in Corinth that Paul had been part of. 
and he knew that church. He wrote a letter to them, and he had heard about a situation where they were glorying in the freedom, the new freedom in Christ, and that somebody was actually had taken their father's wife. And they were celebrating that in the church, that they were so free in Christ that this person could be living in that incestuous relationship, and it was okay. And Paul said, no, it's not okay. And it's horrendous. And he said, throw them out. And in fact, earlier on in that portion of scripture, he says, I don't even think, he says, don't even feast with people like that. Don't even eat with them. He says right here in verse 11, but now I'm writing to you to not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy an idolater, slanderer, drunkard, swindler. Do not even eat with such people. We're supposed to judge, but the judgment starts at home. But even though it starts at home, we still know what sin is and we still know what right or wrong is. And we're still called as Christians to recognize that. You don't have to look any farther than Galatians 5 where he gives us the acts of the flesh. 5.19 says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgy. I mean, come on. I warn you as I did before. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You guys, that is judging. And I know it sounds harsh to some people, but you know what? People need to know. Who are they going to hear that from? They're only going to hear it from people like you as long as you're living a life without a plank in your eye. As long as you yourself are not living a life that is hip, 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 in hypocrisy. What would be the right tense of that? Hypocritical? <laughs> hypocritical, thank you. If you're living a hypocritical life, I want to skip a slide there, Neil, to um, 34 there. How about that woman caught in adultery? Because that's another scripture that people have used against the church. And they say, Jesus said, who judges you? Remember that story, right? They brought the woman to Jesus, said she'd been caught in adultery. And all he did was stoop down and draw in the dirt. And people have, people said a lot of things. What was he drawing? Maybe he was drawing their sins, (laughs) drawing their names, Who knows? We don't know what he was doing. All we know is that he said, whoever was without sin, you cast the first stone. So some people have said, see, Jesus didn't judge her. Really? You really think Jesus would cool with that? Assuming that she really was in adultery. I mean, how did they catch her in it? You know, I don't know. But the truth is this. That's not what he, that's not all he said. He said, go and sin no more. He recognized her sin. He loved her and he told her to stop doing it. That requires a Christian judgment. And the right form of judgment. There's so many other instances of this. But here's the bottom line. <laughs> Jesus had no patience for religious hypocrites. That's where it starts. That's where it all starts. If you could go to that last side, slide there, Neil. It comes down to this. Hypocrisy. Where are you guys at with that? I wonder. It would be harsh, but I don't know if have any of you heard that said to you. You're such a hypocrite. I would hate that. I would hate that. But I think as we spend some time in prayer right here for a few minutes, what I would like is for the Holy Spirit to speak to me and say, you know, Dennis, here's some areas where you're not measuring up. You are judging these things and yet you have these faults. I would like that. You know what else? And this is even more difficult. How nice would it be if if uh, you had a relationship with somebody who could show you those things. And in love, as a body of Christ, we could come together and say, 
uh, Pastor Dennis, I think there's something you'll work on right here. <laughs> that would be hard to hear, wouldn't it? Who wants to hear that from anybody? Nobody? <laughs> wow. I don't, but I need it. Who better to correct us than our own in the body of Christ? That's where it should come from so that we don't have that log in our eye that keeps us from reaching the world that needs this thing, this hope. We need to hold ourselves to the same standards that we hold other people to. We need to judge rightly, but, but very carefully call sin, sin. And the last point there is grace to change. I'm a, I want to tell you a story about uh, when I was in high school. I, went, I grew up in Chula Vista, which is south side San Diego. Our high school was all Mexican. And um, I was thinking about this the other day because uh, someone was talking about a lowrider. Anybody ever seen a real lowrider? Okay. Well, the word went around my junior high one year that uh, one day that all the white kids were getting beat up after school. And we're all like, really? Are you serious? And then all of a sudden, in the last class of the day, all our names started getting read. You know, at first we didn't know what was going on because you know how a name gets read, you don't think about it, and then your name, and then your name. Wait, well, they're all white kids. <laughs> wow. And then my name got read, and we go out there, and the lowriders circled the whole school. All these dudes, you know, that's, that's the environment I grew up in. And um, one of my best friends, his name was Lance. His sister, April, kind of got hooked into, into that whole scene. And, uh, so, and this happens a lot. So you got this white girl, so she's got the makeup on, you know, dyed her hair all black. She had naturally blonde hair, dyed it all black, and, you know, and dressed, dressed like a, you know, a vato, and then we'll hang out with the lowriders and whatever, dropped out of school and all this. It was our senior year in, uh, in high school, and the youth group was strong. It was good youth group. And um, remember one day we, we saw April outside the school, and there was, a, there was a lowrider parked there, and she was in the car. So Lance said, let's go talk to her. It's all right. So we went over there, you know, and the guys are all getting mad and puffed up. And so we just went and said, hey, April, because they didn't realize that was her brother, you know, because they didn't look alike or nothing. I mean, it was weird. But so we walked up and, uh, you know, we started talking to her and we invited her to church. You know, and they all laughed at us and, you know, and she kind of laughed. And then that next Wednesday at church, I'll never forget, we were, our, our church wasn't as big as this, you know, that we did youth in, but probably just these two front sections and maybe five or six rows back. Remember, Lance and I were sitting like right about right here, and then the door was like right back there. And you know how it is when, when somebody turns their head and you could tell they're seeing something interesting? You know how it is, right? Everybody looks. Cause <laughs> you could tell something in their eyes. I don't know if it's the way their eyes look or what. And we were sitting there, and it's like everybody over here were all like looking that way. And so I remember we looked around. It was April. She walked into church. Still looked like a vato, you know, dressed like that, super skinny. You know, I don't know what else she was doing, but she walked in. And right away, man, they all started talking. Oh, my God, I can't believe she's here. Oh, my God, look at her. Oh, my God, look at all that makeup. Look at her hair. Oh, my God, oh, my God. And I remember we were sitting there, and we were just kind of like, shut up. Shut up. She's here. And, and it was so weird because she knew it. And you know, girls, guys don't do it quite as much. You know, girls have that thing where they see the look and, you know. So uh, she stayed for a while and then she left. And then, uh, you know, we didn't see her for a long time. But then we ran into her again. And uh, she, she says something about, you know, we say, hey, it was great to see you at church. And she goes, she goes, yeah, I saw all those people looking at me. You know, and so we try to play it off. But look, April, look at you. <laughs> you know, they don't even recognize you. I don't even know if they, they knew it was you, you know. And so... So we invited her. We were going to, uh, back then there was this place called Belmont Park. It was like a little, it, it wasn't like Worlds of Fun. It was real small, like one little roller coaster and stuff. But our youth group was going there. So we invited her to go. 
you know, and we didn't think she would go. We just were trying to do what we were trying to do, right? And uh, I remember sitting in the parking lot at the church, and uh, we were in Lance's car. I remember sitting there, and kids were getting on the bus, the church bus, and uh, I remember this lowrider came popping in. You know, they, like, bounce in. <laughs> so he bounces into the parking lot. We're like, whoa, you know, we're so stupid. We, I don't, we didn't even think, oh, that could be April. We just thought, oh, look at this guy, you know, and everybody's staring at the car. And it goes, you know, and they drop down. So she gets out the car. We're like, it's April. So we're still sitting in the car, our car. And we're quite a ways away. You know, it's like, I don't know how far, like maybe here to the, to the video booth over there. And we're just kind of dumbfounded. She's getting out the car. She's going to go to Belmont Park with us. You know, we're like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe it. And so we're getting out of our car, and we're kind of walking over there, and we're watching as she starts to get on the bus. And here's what happened. She gets on the bus. And every seat she walked by, kids scooted over so she couldn't sit down. All the way. Boom, boom, boom. And we're watching this in horror, thinking, wait, wait, wait. We're, we're running toward her, and we can't make it. You know, she only made it halfway down the bus. That's all it takes. She turned around. She got out. She wouldn't even talk to us. And she just walked off. And I never saw her again, ever. Ever. Sometimes as Christians, we don't, we don't give people the grace to change. We judge them. And, we, and, and here's the thing. I mean, she was in sin. She needed help. But the church wasn't ready to give her what she needed, the youth, the church. We, we do this thing where we know we're good and we're better and we don't live that life anymore. But then we're not, we're not willing to let people change and grow. But what are we about if Christians that we don't let? I mean, that's the whole point of church is that people can change. And as pastor started us off today, I didn't know he was going to say that, but the truth is God does that changing. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know if she would ever stop the makeup and the whole, you know, Vato look. I don't know. I don't care. That would have been cool. Can you imagine if she would have changed and how many people she could have touched that we would have never reached? Oh, my gosh. I mean, how many of those kids just, you know, went to the devil's hell without knowing? I mean, just so angry and bitter and it was christians who turned her away i'd like you to shut your eyes for a minute as we spend some time of prayer tonight i um i really believe that we as christians have a right and a responsibility to call sin sin and to point out the truth we're supposed to do that but we need to do that we need to judge and sin not And whether it's a brother in Christ who's coming back to the Lord or whether it's somebody who comes in who who needs us to minister to them and to love them into wholeness, the truth is we can be hypocrites too sometimes. I'm going to invite you to some, some prayer. And what I'd like you to do is just let the Holy Spirit kind of examine your heart, speak to you about your own hypocrisy that may be there. And I'm going to also pray that God would lead us and help us to reach people who need need the church to love them and give them grace. God, we ask forgiveness tonight for the times where we have been judgmental and not given people a chance and thought we were better and judged people with a plank in our own eye. God, would you show us tonight those times where we've been that way and the things that we need to change and the blind spots that we have to those areas in our hearts? 
would, would you also help us with people who come that, that need you so desperately, that need your love and wholeness and, and need to change, that you will help us to have the grace and extend your grace to them. God, I pray for a crown point, but, but for Christianity, that you would help Christianity be the, the, the religion, the, the place where people come for help and wholeness, that they would know that this is a place where we love them. We don't accept everything, but we love them and care about them. Pray these things in your son's name. Praise you, Jesus.